Good morning. Snowing outside. Yeah, I knew it was going to snow because my wife asked me if it was going to snow, and I said, nah. Well, there you go. That's the way it goes. I want to, um, I, I, I want to welcome you. And I want to welcome you because today begins, I think, an incredible journey from the, the plight and state of mankind separated from God to a joining of mankind with God through Jesus Christ. And I, I've been very excited about this message but also about the, the different series as we go through this year to see this picture and hopefully how it all fits together. I, I, I take this very seriously and, and I hope that you'll be able to better understand the love of Christ, but also our mission, our, our purpose, our very reason for being and the reason that we have hope. And so I encourage you, not just today, but also next week and the week after that and the week after that, and just continue uh, to be a part of this. And, and this goes for uh, you here at the church. It goes for those online. I hope that you continue to listen to these messages and, uh, and share them. Share them with people that you know. Uh, helps, helps them to understand their walk with Christ and, and the severity and the importance of it. Uh, Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1, okay? So, in order to talk about Christ, we've got to go back just a little bit. So, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. If you're not sure where Genesis chapter 1 is, go to Revelation 22, shut the book, flip it over, and open it again. There you go. You found Genesis chapter 1. Now, everything that we're going to talk about, you may not have your sword with you, but everything that we're going to talk about is going to be on the screen. In fact, I've printed all of the verses on the paper instead of the Bible, because when I'm in Genesis chapter 1, nothing stays open, all right? It just keeps flipping shut, and so I had to go back and reprint everything on the paper. While you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for a gift, a gift of worship, a gift of love, a gift of, of, of challenges, Father. We thank you for a gift of time that we have right now, today, we have this moment to look at your word, to look at this this, this beautiful love, incredible love that we have for you, or that you have for us. And, and hopefully, Father, we grow to have for you. Father, we ask that you be a part of this, this, this time, this, this, this understanding of, of why Christians are Christians, of why people put their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus. Help to open our eyes to how much you love your creation, your children. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And there's a fair bit that we want to cover today, so I'm going to jump right into it. I usually have a, uh, some sort of story for an analogy here at the beginning, but just place story here, and we'll go ahead and move on, okay? Genesis chapter 1. You're familiar, most of you are familiar with this. This is the creation of the world. It's the creation of all that we see. It's what Genesis means, the beginning right? And so God creates. God creates everything that we see. Creates that in five days. You can see that. You can read that in Genesis chapter 1 from verse 1 through verse 23. 
that's five days, five and a half days, creates it all in. The sixth day is something very, very special. So everything other than you and me created up until right at that moment of the sixth day. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens being everything that's not the earth. The heavens, everything you see, everything you experience, everything sometimes you don't see, the heavens and the earth. I find it interesting that nobody goes back through, whoever pinned this down, this is the Word of God working through people to write it down, Whoever wrote this down doesn't go back and say, hold on now, let me explain this God guy to you. They write it as though it is understood. It's understood. It's a natural thing to know that there is God. It's built into the human being. It's built into all creation. To know that there is something. We may not know all the details at this point. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We may not know all the details about God. But we know that there's something bigger and, and, and broader. There's something intelligent that's bigger than me. And sees this and knows this. Has this, this ability to create and to care for and to carry through God. And this is what the author says. I don't know who wrote this down. Probably Moses. It's usually attributed to Moses. It could have been. It could have been pinned down a little bit later than Moses. But he writes that in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And again, this goes into a little bit more detail once you get into chapter 2. It's a retelling of the same story, talking about the creation of mankind. He created everything on earth, and again, he did most of this in five days. And then there was the sixth day, and something even more amazing happened. Look at verse 24. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. You see, the sixth day is something very special. God's creating animals. He's creating mammals on the earth to live and to roam and to to, to express His glory and this incredible beauty. But there is one more mammal yet to come. Not animal, mammal. Depending on how we act sometimes, right? There's one more important mammal yet to come. Look at 26 and 27. I'm going to shut this now. Then God said, it's the same thing. Trust me, all right? I just recorded it over here. I'm not making this stuff up. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. That is, that is, run the place. Let's make a special creation. Let's make something, something that is able to be built in the same type of idea and image and, and, and character of God. So that they can run the place. Control over the livestock and the wild animals. I can wait. You want to just, you, you want to just do a recording? We can do that. All right. I'll just take the day off. You guys lock up. And... <laughs> Over the livestock. It's not, it's not possible. Can we just get this out? It's not possible to be embarrassed in this room. Okay? 
and impossible. All right? You love me, I love you, you love each other. This is, that's what family is, right? Anyway, God's creating the earth, if we could have a moment. God's creating all of mankind to rule over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, mankind, human beings, was to be different. From the very beginning, this plan was to build something, create something special. Far and away, just the the, the pinnacle of God's creation. Mankind had been created in God's own image. What does that mean? It basically means this, that man is created physically, but man also possesses a spirit. A spirit. An actual, real, live thing that you can't see and you can't touch, but it's a part of the building blocks of mankind. It is an immortal spirit, an everlasting spirit, not eternal spirit. I've I've said that before, and I need to make that correction. Eternal means all times past and all times future. It's, It's everlasting, though. From the moment it's created from God. Not only that, but man is designed now to fellowship with God in a way that no other creation can. To realize that there is a God. Mankind is built to reason. Built to create. Built to imagine. Mankind is built to love and know that they love. Mankind is built to be transcendent, by the way. This is an incredible picture, an incredible gift that God has given mankind. We've talked about this before, and a very, very broad definition is basically this. Mankind, in their minds, can step out of their own life and look at their own life. They can look at the past. They can think about and predict and plan for the future. And they can also see how their life connects to all of these other lives and all of these other things that God creates That's what transcendence is. We're built that way. No other creation is built that way. We can see. We can know. In fact, here's really what mankind is able to do. This gets into a little bit of epistemology. To know what he knows and know that he knows it. No other other creature, no other creation can do that. To know what you know and to know that you know it. Mankind was created to enjoy God forever. By the way, emphasis on the enjoy. Mankind was built to enjoy the presence of God. Mankind was built to enjoy a relationship with God. Mankind was built so that God could enjoy a relationship with man. At this juncture, you gotta you gotta look around and ask yourself, what happened? What happened? I mean, if that was the purpose, if that's how we were originally designed, what happened? There's not only a lack of enjoyment in the presence of God, there's outright hatred of God around the world in our our culture. What happened? Who changed? (laughs) God didn't change. We know this, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. 
So what happened? Where did this separation come from? Man was built to be free. A free creation. Freedom of the mind. Freedom of the heart. Look at verse 31. Jump down look at verse 31. And God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. You have to remember that. God saw all that he, was, that he made, and it was very good. This includes, church, mankind. This includes human beings. This includes beings just like you and I. Now, I ask you, would you look around in your experience, and in your time, and in this time throughout history, do we say that it is very good? God created it very good. Because after the fall of mankind, church, I want you to remember the very good, the entire history, which is what we're going to go through, the entire history of mankind, the entire course of the Bible is to return to very good. We start out very good. We fall a long way from very good. And the entire journey... This entire, if you want to look at it, human experiment is to go from very good to very good. In fact, we fall away so much that God gets to the point where he just wants to kind of just wipe everything out and start over. Talk to Noah about that. We, we, we start out so good and it gets so bad. There's a point in Jesus' ministry where someone approaches him, addresses him. He says, good teacher. Jesus turns around he says, No one is good. No one is good. But we were. We were. You were. I was. The human race was. Mankind was. In the very beginning, it was very good. And by the way, this isn't isn't my opinion. God himself looks at his creation. Looks at people just like you and says, boy, it's very good. Very good. I don't think God brags. I don't think he's proud. You know, this this ugly type of pride. But I do think he's happy. I do think he's happy that he can look upon his creation and say it's very good. God creates man in his image and he creates woman. This is chapter 2. We've jumped a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for us to try to walk through this life alone. It's not good for us not to have a a helpmate next to us. I'm not talking about a spouse necessarily when I'm talking about it right now. It's not good for us to be this island We need to have friends. We need to have family. We need to have this body that comes around and carries us, helps us through this life. God knew that even of Adam. It's not good for man to be alone. And so God caused all that which he created to be brought to the man. I don't think every single animal, but every representative of an animal, to be brought to the man to both name them and also to find a helpmate. So Adam's looking for this partner, and he's naming animals. By the way, in Scripture, as you name something, that recognizes your authority over it. So he's naming what there is, looking for a helpmate. And while all of these things were good, 
none of them were quite good enough. None of them really struck the chord God was looking for. Genesis 2, 20 through 25, kind of the second part of verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's a closeness. That's a responsibility. That's a care. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. God places them in a garden. He provides for them. He cares for them. They they don't have any experience at this point doing these types of things on their own, learning these things. They don't have the time, uh, you know, being created to do these wonderful things. And so He provides for them. He gives them a home and a place to be. A beautiful garden with everything they could need. A vast garden. In fact, it's hemmed in by a couple of rivers, two of which are still there today. I don't know if they're in their same form today, but there's two still there, the Tigris and the Euphrates. There's two others that we can't find, the Gion and the Pishon. I don't know where they go or or where exactly they flowed. But, But they're given this vast area to live. Fruiting and flowering trees, plenty of water, rivers, proper temperature. But more to the point, this communion with each other and with God. Boy, that's, that's, that's a pretty good day. That's the place to be right there. Just me, God, Ashley. Of course, Sam wouldn't be there at that point. I'd be kind of sad. But it'd be a good day. It was indeed very good. Let's go back a few verses, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. To work it. What do you mean work? I thought there wasn't any work until the fall of mankind. No, it's just our perspective of work. Work is a blessing. Work is a gift. It's a challenge that we have, and it's something special that God has given to each of us. It's something we can engage in. It's it's a gift that He gave to Adam to care for, to tend, to work the place that He'd been given. We were, uh, I remember during our our, our fall fest out here, we were loading up hay in the back of the truck, and I don't remember who it was, but one of the boys, one of the young boys, uh, you know, I was loading on the back, I was up, up on top of the haystack, and one of the boys said, boy, he gets all the fun up there. <laughs> and I thought, man, I, I could hook you up with a couple of old boys this summer, you can have all the fun you want, I guarantee you, you'd be tired of all the fun you'd have. But he had the right idea, honestly. This work is a, is a gift, and it was given to human beings until it was changed into something hateful. So they worked the garden, and the Lord God commanded them, Look, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, I don't want to ruin the end of the story, but Adam and Eve eventually disobey God. They disobeyed what God said. They disobeyed what God told them. They disobeyed. They rejected the Word of God. They rejected the Word of God. That's what sin is. 
disobeying, rejecting the word of God, and they ate from this forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And again, at this juncture, you may well ask, why put the tree there to begin with? Everything was fine. Life was wonderful. Why on earth would God put this tree in the middle of the garden after everything was perfectly fine and say, whatever you do, don't eat from that tree? Well, unfortunately, I think that's a little bit of a a, a slightly cynical approach. In other words, we kind of ask, has God reduced human beings to lab rats for his amusement? Something that we need to remember, this tree was not a curse. This tree was a gift. This tree was a blessing. This This tree was the ability for Adam and Eve to fully understand and know their relationship with their creator God. That God's desire, his plan, and the words that he says are good for human beings. They are life-giving instead of life-taking. It was there to allow freedom of the mind, freedom of the heart, and freedom of the actions. God didn't want puppets. God didn't want, want robots. He wanted you and I to desire this relationship as much as He desires this relationship. He wanted to give you and me the chance to trust who He is, what He is, and what He says. He wants us to be able to choose this wonderful life with Christ. Speaking of choice, it was also to allow the gift of obedience. It was was to allow the gift of of trust. It was to allow the gift of faith. Don't look at this as a a curse. Don't look at this as a mistake. This was a gift. This was a blessing that God had given Adam and Eve. Ironically, God loves us so much that He allows us to choose to hate Him. And, and, And we've been through experiences like that probably in our lives, and we know what that feels like and how that hurts. God experiences similar things when we reject Him and reject His Word. But with that choice, knowing that it was wrong, with this rejection and the separation of the Word of God comes death. It's the same then as it is now. You want to walk away from trusting the Word of God, nobody's going to stop you. But you're separating yourself from that which gives life. You're separating yourself from that which gives meaning, value, and purpose. Look at, look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. This is still one big, one big story here, okay? We're only, we're only three chapters in. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, that is, the serpent said to the woman, Did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden? Come on. Come on. Really? Is that really what he said? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from trees in the garden. That's perfectly fine. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You're not going to die, the serpent said. 
For God knows, verse 5, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, listen closely now, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Snake talking to Eve. This seem unusual to anybody at this point? Does this story seem a little strange at this point? I mean, this is usually where people check out. Okay, I thought you were talking about something real here. Uh, snake's talking to Eve here. Satan is using this particular creation to tempt this woman. I, I wonder why Eve did not find this strange. It doesn't say that she was shocked. I wonder if she did find it strange that a serpent would talk to her. I got a couple of theories on this. We got time. Yeah, we got time. A couple of theories. I don't know if they're all true. I don't know if any of them are true. Here's my theories. Perhaps God in his past, in the communion that this Adam and Eve have with nature, this communion that they have with this creation, maybe God has used animals to speak before. Maybe, maybe God's used animals to speak to Adam and Eve and commune with Adam and Eve. We know that he's done that. If you're a believer of the Bible, in Numbers, we know that Balaam, Balaam's donkey spoke to him in Numbers 22 to teach Balaam. That's a lesson, by the way, for any preacher or teacher who thinks they're more than they are. The Word of God can be taught through a donkey. Maybe God's used this before. And Adam and Eve have been there for not a day or a week, but maybe a hundred years. And because God's used this before, Satan comes along and twists and changes and perverts this beautiful thing. That's why Satan chose this animal. Maybe that's true. On the other hand, maybe very little time has passed. Maybe Eve's only been around for a week. And a snake comes up and speaks to her, and she thinks, well, I guess that's just the way things work around here. I'm only a week old. Maybe this is the way this creation works. A snake speaks. Third thing is, maybe she is surprised. Maybe nothing like this has ever happened before. And she's shocked, and she passes out, and it takes a while to revive her. Maybe. The Bible doesn't say she was surprised. The Bible doesn't say she wasn't surprised. There's a lot of stuff in stories that the Bible leaves out. Here's what I think. I think at this point, Adam and Eve have seen even more amazing things than this. That this, Satan using this serpent or a serpent speaking, pales in comparison to the wonders that they have seen and heard, the discussions, the communion that they have had with God. And therefore, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I hope this doesn't trip you up. I mean, we just got done talking about creation in six days. We're here because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The plagues of Egypt, the party of the Red Sea, the walls of Jericho, the floating axe head, water and wine, the lame walk of the blind sea. Don't let a talking snake trip you up. That's kind of on the bottom of amazing things that we believe when it comes to Jesus Christ. But we also should not be surprised here because Satan's using the same tactic against Eve that he uses against us. He lies, he speaks, he whispers to the pride. I'm going to read that 4 and 5 again, Genesis 3, 4 and 5. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, 
Eat from it, your eyes will be open, and once again, you will be like God. That's the thrust of it. You know what the sad part is? At Eve, right now, before walking out on the Word of God, is as close to being like God as she can ever possibly be. God made her perfect. Made Adam perfect. Made their lives beautiful. And it wasn't until they rejected this perfection on their own that things began to crumble. They began separation from God. They began separation from themselves. There's a lot of things in life that I don't remember. I try, but I don't remember them all. One of the things I do remember, because it was fairly recent, I talk about Sam a lot. I'm kind of fond of him. It was when he was born. Um, Ashley had stepped out of the room. He was in his little Tupperware, you know, thing. Little hat on. And uh, I, I, this first chance, I'd, I, I, this first chance I'd had to be alone with him, first chance I'd, I'd had to hold him. And I was genuinely nervous. I mean, I was, I was scared. I, I could t- tell my hands were shaking. And I give you my word as I stand before you, it had nothing to do with dropping him. I was afraid that if I touched him, You know, you, you know you've, you've seen your kids before. You know what beauty and perfection is? I didn't want to. I was afraid that this would be the first moment that he, he came in contact with something that was not perfect. There was a complete beauty about him and about kids that I see all the time that have no idea what it means to reject beautiful, to reject perfect, to reject the loving Word of God. That was Eve. That was you and me. Perfect in every way. So beautiful, you barely said it out loud. You spoke with whispers. No ill thought. No ill feeling. Everything revealed about them in Tupperware. I didn't even want to touch him. I remember having this sense of awe about him, about all these these little kids, these little babies. That was Eve prior to rejecting God. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 3. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know, if you go back... 
Genesis 20 through 25, there's a verse, verse 25, talking about this union between man and a woman. It says, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. You know what that means? They were uncovered. Their lives, who they are, who they were, what they were, their mind, their heart, their thoughts, even their physical bodies, completely uncovered before God and felt no shame. Now they've separated themselves from God. Now they have rejected the Word. Now they have rejected this close communion, this close companionship. Suddenly, they felt shame. And they feel shame for the very first time. What a sad thing. What a tragic thing. I think this is, this is one of the reasons built into us that we, we try to protect our kids, our children. We want to hang on to that perfection as long as we can because those perfect things are so fleeting in life, it seems. Mankind is no longer very good. They try to hide from God, and of course God finds them. You can't hide from God. You can't do that today. You couldn't do that then. And when confronted, they do fess up. But this perfect union is broken forever. This spiritual death reigns forever. Perfection is gone forever. Well, maybe not forever. God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. For now, they would just corrupt it. Eve is cursed for her treachery. There's going to be pain and childbearing, and her desire will be for her husband. It even destroys that union. It even destroys that relationship. Suddenly, now, that relationship has changed. The earth was cursed because of Adam. No longer would work be an, enjoy, an enjoyment. No longer would, it be work, would work be fun. He would have to work the ground for his very life. We are all cursed because of this, for we were taken from the ground, and to the ground we will return. That is the physical death. And death will now reign, and separation from God will be our lot. Because mankind, this perfect and beautiful creation, has rejected the Word of God. Even the snake was cursed. You're going to eat dust the rest of your life. And there's going to be hatred between your offspring and Eve's offspring and all the people and, 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 and uh, you know, all of these generations that come after her. Until, verse 15, until one comes along who's going to crush your head. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her, your offspring, that's anyone who practices and pursues evil, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Even now, not all is lost. Even now. Even now, God doesn't give up. Even now, God doesn't just walk away. This was the pinnacle of His creation that rejected Him. And even now, God's not going to leave. This is the very first time in all of Scripture, the entire eternal Word of God, we hear mention of Jesus, the Christ that's going to come. There will come a day There will come a hero. 
that is able to crush all that is bad, all that is evil. There will come a day when one will come along and will make it very good again. Even from the beginning, God had this love in mind. You know, I mentioned that Adam and Eve, once they were uncovered and exposed, after they'd sinned against God, they felt shame. You know what God did? God killed an animal. First time that's ever happened. And he used the animal to cover Adam and Eve. They ushered in through the rejection of God. They ushered in death, deserving of death, but God chose a different sacrifice to cover them. God never leaves us without hope. First three chapters of Genesis, that's the entire Bible. And from here on out, the Bible explains and fleshes all of this out, this pursuit of perfection through Jesus Christ. God never leaves us without hope. He often has us exercise patience, perseverance, faith, but God is in the business of hope, and hope does not disappoint. We all inherit this propensity to sin. We all take it into our lives. As Jim mentioned during his communion meditation, by nature, we're sinful people. By nature, we separate from God. By nature, we are controlled very often by pride and fear instead of the Word of God. And I don't think that's much of a stretch. We know things get passed down physically, but we know character traits get passed from generation to generation, parent to child. We all suffer with this until a hero arrives. But it's going to be a while before this hero comes in the flesh. And during that time, these people, what would eventually be called humanity, humankind, what would eventually from there be called the Israelites, all of creation, until this hero arrives, we're going to need a guide. We're going to need a shepherd. In fact, Paul refers to this as a steward. This steward, until the hero shows up, this steward will reveal the glory and perfection of God. It will teach people how to exist civilly with one another, and it will challenge them to be holy. But more to the point, this steward that comes along is not sent to save mankind. This steward that comes along is not sent to make it good again. It's sent to teach us how desperately we need that hero to show up and bring us back to very good. I encourage you very strongly to be here next week because we are going to try to summarize the law, the law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you never leave us without hope. We thank you, Father, that though our ancestors rejected your your perfect word and ushered in this imperfection, we thank you that through it all there was hope. We thank you that there is Jesus. We thank you that we do become sanctified, purified, 
that we become indwelt by you, Father. We thank you that we get to look forward to this absolute perfection back into the presence of who you are and what you are, your peace, your rest. Father, help us to understand as we go through this journey together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. As we sing this new song this morning, The Blessing, this is our prayer over you as a congregation over a church. Just receive it this morning, and as you sing it out, we pray that this would be the prayer of our entire church for all of us this year. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you questions about how all this fits together, if you have questions about theology, if you have questions about the history of the church, and I mean the church around the world, I mean different denominations, I mean this church, 
show up, be there. You don't have to sign up for anything. We're going to serve lunch, and you and I are going to sit and chat, okay? That's all it is. That's, that's it. That's all it is. No decisions made, nothing. Let's just hang out and get to know each other, okay? John W. at RushChurch.com. That's my website. John W. That's me. John W. at RushChurch.com. If you guys have a question and you want to email it, email, email that. John W. at RushChurch.com. Email a question. And we'll be able to address those as we sit and we commune together and we fellowship together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you have for every person in this room. We thank you, Father, that you have saved us for eternity through Jesus Christ. Father, we know when we leave these doors, we don't get this this music from stage, Father. We know that we don't have the Bible open right in front of us. We know that we're not listening to a lesson. Father, we know it gets dangerous out there. We know things that can distract us and take our attention and take our hope and take our certainty from who Jesus Christ is. So, Father, I ask in the name of Christ that you will walk with the people in this room right now that they will leave this place and be thinking about and remember that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, specially created for a time like this, but also for a time through eternity. In Jesus' name.